Watching my fellow Americans with your host, Mike. Yes, Owen. yes, it's me. Thank you. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, please. Oh, oh, thank you so much. Keep clapping. Clap for the miracle. How would we know that you wanted the miracle if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally. Spike Cohen, I'm so glad to have you here with me tonight. Uh, have we got a show for you? It's called My Fellow Americans. It's this show. This is also the first episode, by the way, of My Fellow Americans during Gay Pride Month. And so I'd just like to take an opportunity to thank, to say to all my LGBT followers, I'm proud of you. You did it. Great job. This is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Periscope, Anchor, iTunes, Google Play. Check us out everywhere. Give us five-star reviews everywhere. If the reviews go higher than five stars, give us the absolute highest uh, everywhere. Review us everywhere. Share this video right now. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I have a roughly hour-long libertarian podcast that I want to share with you on a Wednesday evening. Uh, Be sure to give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids absolutely love it every single time. Uh, This program is brought to you by Anchor FM. Uh, and I will be plugging that later, roughly halfway, halfway through this program, uh, probably at a very inappropriate moment. Uh, the intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That is J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook, SoundCloud. Go to his band camp. It's joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. It's like $15. 
you buy his music, he makes more music than you can buy that music. It's 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 amazing. He's an incredible, incredible artist. Be sure to support him. Thank you so much, Mr. Joe Davi. I'd like to thank Kroger for this delicious purified drinking water that I drink on this and every single episode of My Fellow Americans. That is delicious, delicious water. Thank you so much. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom, as always. Guys, before I introduce my guest tonight, I'd like to take a moment to talk about something that has absolutely outraged me and something that I think that if left unaddressed will tear the very fabric of this nation apart. Um, you see, I was recently at Denny's with my wife and uh, I was just looking at the menu like a normal person. I'm looking at the menu, everything looks fine and then and I see this. Look at that. I'll, I'll let you look a little closer. Look at that. Now, to the untrained eye, you may be thinking, what's the problem here? There, there's no problem. I'd see wild Alaskan salmon. Okay, let me, let me, this is not wild Alaskan salmon. Look at that. That is what they call wild Alaskan salmon, which they are selling for $11. Wild Alaskan salmon, which looks like this, $11 for this, which is supposed to be wild Alaskan salmon. Now, let me explain why this is a lie and why you should be as outraged as me. First of all, that's not what wild Alaskan salmon looks like. Okay, let's just be clear. That's not even what salmon looks like. And salmon isn't white. Salmon is pink. And wild Alaskan salmon is red. That's why people get it. Because it's red. And it tastes amazing. It is the best thing. I eat it almost every day. And it is amazing. That is not wild Alaskan salmon. And if it was wild Alaskan salmon, there was no way that they could sell it at that price point. You can't sell wild Alaskan salmon for eleven thirty nine. You can sell this, whatever this is for eleven thirty nine. That could be chicken. I don't know what that is, but you could sell that for eleven thirty nine easily. I don't know what it is. I don't want it, but you could definitely sell it for that much. But definitely not actual wild Alaskan salmon. Not not whatever that is. Yes. Okay. Here's the real problem, and this is what makes me the most upset. You're Denny's. You are Denny's. Okay. No one is coming and expecting wild Alaskan salmon on the menu. All right, they're coming late at night. They're expecting breakfast food, maybe like a quesadilla or chicken fingers. Half of them are intoxicated. Claiming that you have wild Alaskan salmon on your menu provides absolutely no value for you or for the customer. This is just lying for the sake of lying. It accomplishes absolutely nothing. And I just, just stop the lies, Denny's. Just stop the damn lies. Just stop it. Guys, now I'd like to introduce my guest. My guest tonight is a world-renowned author, speaker, activist, and recently a podcaster as well. Uh, she got her start in politics back in college, uh, where she started a pro-Israel advocacy group. She went on to become a director at uh, Jerusalem U. Uh, she's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, where she was a Robert L. Bartley Fellow. This is a fancy show. We're having a fancy show today, okay? Robert L. Bartley Fellow, Wall Street Journal. She was also uh, featured on New York Times, The Atlantic, Tablet, Prager University, The Times of Israel, and many other publications. She is currently the creator of The Theory of Enchantment, uh, which is a uh, lecture series and a framework of conflict resolution and interpersonal growth rooted in themes found in pop culture. Here's a quick promo about The Theory of Enchantment. So here are the three principles, very simple. Number one, remember that we are human beings, not political abstractions. 
Number two, if you want to criticize someone whose behavior you find bad or problematic, criticize in order to uplift and empower, never to tear down, never to destroy. And number three, everything we do, we want to root in love and compassion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to my fellow Americans, the amazing and talented Ms. Chloe Valdery. Chloe, thank you so much for coming to My Fellow Americans. Thank you for having me. I have had the pleasure, the honor, if you will, of watching you bloom from an awkward little foal into the beautiful, graceful, elegant lady stallion that I see before me today. I appreciate that, Spike. (laughs) You're welcome. And guys, be sure to comment with any questions or thoughts that you have, and Chloe and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, Chloe, the the first thing I always ask new guests when they come on is how you would describe your political beliefs, and would you say that you kind of got there as kind of an aha moment, or was sort of a a gradual evolution over time? So I think I'm at the point in my life where I don't really like to engage in politics. Right. I guess that that's like a way of exercising politics is to not do it um, or not be engaged in it. I don't know, but there there are political implications for what I do, obviously. But I would say my aha moment for sort of not wanting to exist exclusively or primarily within the realm of politics actually happened when I was in college. And it wasn't really an aha moment. It was more of a series of events or sort of like an event that happened within a classroom that totally... Uh, gave me anxiety and depression and made me rethink my entire world narrative. Oh, wow. Um, so I took a class called Anthropology of Religion, Magic, and Witchcraft. And at that point, I had been super religious in a sort of dogmatic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was taught and conditioned to believe that, you know, if you acted a certain way or believed in a certain way, then you were sort of on my side. And if you didn't, then you were the enemy. Right. right. I saw you as, as the enemy, whatever that means. Um, and I was in this class and I had the professor was atheist and um, liberal. And so I had all these preconceived notions about her because I grew up in a pretty conservative home. And uh, one time we had just seen Jesus Camp, which is a documentary about evangelicals. And there was another student in the class who was also also atheist. And she attacked the evangelical community in that documentary. And then my atheist liberal professor actually defended uh, the evangelicals depicted in that documentary. Right. And I had never seen anything like that. And that totally screwed me up <laughs> because it screwed up my sense of sort of like the hero and villain, uh, I guess, conceptualization of the world that I had. Um, right, right, right. And that forced me to rethink the narrative I had been running in my mind about what is good and what is bad. I think that that was the catalyst that that paved the way for me to stop thinking in just like these big political abstractions and start really trying to uh, think about the complexities and nuances of life and the the non-zero sum game that life is. So I would say that was a huge moment for me. So you you were you've experienced a lot of uh, 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 distress at the thought that there was way more nuance to the world than you than you thought previously. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's a good way to think, but it's actually very stressful in the beginning. <laughs> right now, I now I remember uh, this kind of speaks to what you were just talking about. I remember 
uh, first finding out about you online, as I remember all things, uh, it was January 6th of 2014, around 2.48 p.m.-ish Eastern. Um, uh, This is, I don't know exactly when it was, was probably around that time, though. Um, (laughs) This is around, it was around the time that you were making waves with your Zionist activism, the whole, like, there's a black woman who's young and she's a Zionist. And uh, and you also appeared, at least to me at the time, to be pretty conservative. Um, yeah. it, not necessarily Hannity esque, but maybe mm-hmm. Hannity adjacent. Maybe sure, I'll take uh-huh. it. You know, Hannity adjacent. It. I get you know whatever. <laughs> and, which honestly would have described me well too at the time. I I, I um yeah I was very conservative at the time. What would you like to say to 2014 Chloe right now? <laughs> that is a great question. Oh my god, that's like one of the best questions I've ever had. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I would honestly change anything. I think that I had to go through the sort of, um, I had to go through the dogma and I had to right. go through the, the like righteous indignation, Chloe, in order to come to the moment that I am now. So I wouldn't necessarily change anything I did, but I would right. tell that younger Chloe that there is more to this, that, that there will be more to discover about right. the world and about capital T truth. Um, and that this is just that this may seem like the most pressing moment um, in your sort of, I guess, career. I was in college then, but I was also like working for various organizations. And so it may seem like the most pressing moment in your career. Um, and you're sort of riding, the, riding this wave where people are like praising you and things like that. But right. this is a journey. This is an intellectual journey. This is a philosophical journey that you're just now getting started on so like keep that in mind as you like speak in front of rallies and speak (laughs) like don't don't take yourself too seriously (laughs) with all this yeah like it's serious but you'll discover that there are other serious things in life and right right also not to take yourself so seriously in this moment right right now i've asked that question before and i was told that the correct answer is that you shouldn't say anything because that the grandfather paradox and that crushes collapses space and time or something like that that's like a quantum physics right your answer is 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 i like your answer better because it's easier than someone being difficult and trying to explain you know quantum mechanics on the show uh and 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 the the paradox of time um but now let me ask you this Uh, i think i know the answer to this do you still consider yourself a a zionist or is that somewhat evolved as well I definitely still consider myself a Zionist, but even the way that manifests itself in my life is very different than the way it did in 2014. Right. Now, scale of one to 10, how much do you really want to argue with me about Israel? Like zero. Um, (laughs) You have to understand, if you would have asked me in 2014, I would have been like, let's do it. Let's let's go. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now you might say something that I disagree with and I'll just be like, well, you know what, Spike, I disagree with that. And I don't think that's going to be interesting for anyone. (laughs) It isn't going to be interesting. No, and I, and I, I, like, my whole thing is that, you know, the things that people want to say about Israel, whether you agree with them or not, whether they're true or not, or 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 con- uh, conversely, a lot of the things that you could want to say about Hamas, sure, you know, it's like it, it, which which um, in my mind, and you you can disagree with this, but it's almost like okay, which bad actor are we picking here? And when I say <laughs> Israel and Hamas, I'm not talking about individual people within it. I mean the the people in the leadership right. positions who, in my mind, sometimes don't seem to care much about that the people that it's, that it's affecting, similar to how it is here. But, um, so, yeah, no, we're, 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 we, we don't have to argue about that. I don't um, think I, like, again, 
2019 me would say I don't think that's necessarily an unfair statement but like I wouldn't even necessarily disagree with you right so right. like then it really would be uninteresting <laughs> it's just be us going like yeah that's a that's a great point that's a great point <laughs> yeah. you know people like you know sometimes some you know I try to be an alternative to the McLaughlin group style of of you know oh. you're wrong um so I, I was actually raised watching that show which is oh really cra- crazy to think about but yeah that's well yeah, then you know what i'm talking about really my father was really into that show yeah mclaughlin group <laughs> morton downey jr all of that stuff is just that might have been that's probably before your time but the that yeah that one's that's before uh that's before your time he basically so there's a segment where uh, probably the most famous morton downey jr segment this is pre-jerry springer and all that he would bring people on and um call them idiots and stupid whiny liberals and like stuff like that. This was like groundbreaking. This was before even I think this even before seeing Ben Shapiro. This is before <laughs> Ben Shapiro was born probably. And this was before any of the cable news networks. It was not like this and certainly not from a conservative view. And one of my favorite uh, skits is is or uh, segments or whatever was Ron Paul was on there trying to explain to everyone everyone why all drugs should be legal and he was like <laughs> telling people like, "Well, you're fat, maybe we should make that illegal." Like that that was the show. Was everyone just insulting each other. So we we're, I'm trying to be the opposite of that, but gotcha. maybe not so much where it's just like us only just saying how like awesome and agreeable we are to each other. Right. Um so right. speaking of being agreeable, or I guess maybe maybe not the theory of enchantment. That's that's where you what you're doing right now. Um, I've read all the stuff, and I was listening to your podcast on it. And I I I, I don't want to spoil it, and so I'd rather you start with it. But I do want to ask you this: When you started this, what did you see that was missing in the public discourse, uh, and how do you believe that theory of enchantment fills that void? And and also, what is it even? Because no one even knows what I'm talking about yet. Yeah. So. Theory of Enchantment is my startup. I decided to plunge into the world of entrepreneurship this year and uh, create an LLC, found an LLC in January. Um, So Theory of Enchantment is really an educational consulting firm that provides a very unique curriculum to different sectors of society. So whether it's individuals, organizations, companies, and it really teaches these sectors of society how to navigate basically how to have better relationships with each other, how to communicate better. Um, And all this contributes to mental health and wellness. It contributes to how we think about that. I always get this wrong when I try to say it. Um, Diversity and inclusion departments should actually operate. Um, It informs how we think a holistic society should look. And the reason why I wanted to create this was when I was working for Israel organizations, I was, trying to essentially help Jewish students deal with anti-Semitism on college campuses and navigate that space. And what I discovered was that there's a lot of vocabulary in our culture about how to combat racism or how to combat prejudice, how to combat hatred. But there's hardly any, there's hardly no vocabulary about how to actually love. And that's a skill set that requires a practice, that requires rewiring the brain to sort of look at individuals and groups and communities in different ways and that Mm. really isn't being packaged in a way that's marketable to communities or to society as a whole and i really wanted to provide that service because of that gap that's very interesting so you think so you you, this came about because you think people are focusing too much on fighting the hate as opposed to saying well you know we could love instead of hate and, and present that as kind of a i guess a viable alternative 
Right. And so the, the thing I always love to say is that combating hate is important, but it's actually not the same thing as learning how to love. Um, it, and if you actually teach people how to learn how to love, that can, in the long run, end up combating the hate. But it's a very different thing to go to someone and say, you know, I don't, I hate you because you did this really aggressive, immoral thing. And so I'm just going to tell you I hate you. So I'm just going to be on my way. Like that hasn't necessarily changed anything. And I win. I win yeah. <laughs> by telling you I, I hate you and I win. And then you walk away. Right. Yeah. And that doesn't change anything. It's like, it's combating the hate in the sense that it's emotionally rewarding for you. Right. Yes. But it's not really combating the hate. Right. Right. Um, So there needs to be a discourse and a vocabulary and a set of practices that people and organizations and institutions can actually engage in that can bring about that better society. That sounds good. So in the video we watched earlier, uh, you laid out the three principles behind the theory of enchantment. Uh, for the people that are like me, who are severely ADHD, maybe um, uh, can we just break down a little bit what each of those principles are? And and also on the face of it, I think it, you know, hearing any of those things, I think most people would agree with them on their face. Where do you think it breaks down where it's not actually happening? Sure. So three principles very quickly. Number one, remember that we are human beings, not political abstractions. Number two, criticize to uplift and empower never to tear down, never to destroy. And number three, root everything you do in love and compassion. Now, as you said, this sounds like common sense. Sounds like, well, obviously, that's... <laughs> well, like yeah, of course. We're not. We're all humans, right, of right, right. We're, like, we're not robots, Chloe. What right. do you mean? Um, but actually, the first principle is the first principle because it's so critical and because typically, especially in, like, spaces where there's political disagreement of a hyper-partisan nature, this entire principle gets thrown out of the window and people don't realize that people come to form their own political opinions as a product of who they are as very right. complex human beings. Yep. Right? yep. And the different things they value and the different things they ascribe meaning toward. And if things you they've are, experienced and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. All of that baggage, all of the things they grew up with, all of the, all of that complexity informs who they are today. Right. And yep. so to come to a person with, equipped with that knowledge and ready to speak to that person aware of what makes up their complex selves, you're much more likely to be persuasive and relatable and getting your point across as opposed to seeing that person as just an abstraction, a very pigeonhole stereotype that you can just assume things about when in fact, you know nothing about them and nothing about their life. This isn't just about, this isn't just about political disagreements. It's about disagreements of any nature. And it's also just about, being able to navigate the human condition that that we are forced with today, right? And so, yes, that first principle seems very obvious, but when you, if you were to enroll in the curriculum that I built, what it breaks down into is actually learning what it means to be a human being. <laughs> and what it means to be a human being is to, as I mentioned earlier, it means that you have all of these insecurities that you have to manage. You have feelings of vulnerability. How do you how do you deal with feelings of vulnerability? How do you feel? deal with feelings of inadequacy and incompetence um and how do you first understand the first principle as applied to the self because as it turns out you can't be in relationship with other people if you don't have a healthy relationship with yourself so once you learn how to apply to the self you can learn how to apply to the other Uh, and same for the second principle like once you internalize the first principle then this idea of criticizing in order to uplift and empower not to tear down people becomes almost second nature because now you're equipped 
with this awareness of the idea of like people having internal worth or worthiness. And that also may sound cliche. That's something like that a lot of people were raised with or a lot of people or a few people on Twitter tell me they were raised with that, but it doesn't seem like it when you right. age um, in a lot of the discourses that we're having in society today. And well, people also, will say, people will say, yeah. you know, I was raised, you know, to, to treat people like people and to, you know, and to, to, you know, relate to their common experience. Not like these monsters out here, you know, these <laughs> right. scumbags, we have to stop exactly. them from, from, exactly. you know, spreading their intolerant ways. Anyway, go ahead. Exactly that. It's funny you say that because, you know, there's an incredibly uh, poignant film out, right? Or it's not a film. It's sort of like a series of episodes called When They See Us, which is a very difficult mm. thing on Netflix to watch. Um, yeah. But you should watch it because it's, it's important. And I think one, one of the things it highlights is like the deleterious effects of the punitive system of our criminal justice system um, yeah. and how it sort of rewards these sort of hyper prosecutorial, uh, uh, I guess, outlooks on life and how that yep. creates problems, especially for inner city communities and people of color. Um, yep. But what's what's so interesting about this is that like embedded within this sort of cultural phenomenon of a film is this idea that we should actually be, um, we should be combating the punitive nature of, of our criminal justice uh departments and at the same time we have people this is the great irony to your point we have we have people who are basically saying the punitive system is wrong and so we need to totally destroy the prosecutor who prosecuted the the kids we must punish them we must punish punish the punishers yeah interesting uh, flaw <laughs> in the design system. Right, right, right. We understand what the film is supposed to make us do, yeah. but we actually have to dig even deeper. We, it's, it's proof that we haven't actually fully internalized the message of the film. Not, not <laughs> truly, because it's like on the one hand, we're like, the punitive system sucks, but let's do the punitive system as applied to... And, and we have to have a much more holistic you know, yep. view of how we want to really implement ways of healing our society. It has to be, it, ha- it can't be a zero sum game. It can't be like we have to heal one community while like bashing another community. We have to approach it in a very holistic manner. Yep. Yep. I agree. It's funny because as you know, I'm an anarchist and in anarchist circles, there is a very interesting paradox that many of them have, not all, but many of them have where they're pretty in a very similar vein to what you were saying, where it's like, you know, these people are controlling us and they're, you know, being violent and they're trying to, you know, force us into these things and we have to stop them. We have to form together and we have to take them and put them on trial and then guillotine them. And I'm like, well, <laughs> this sounds very, sounds very suspiciously revolution. similar to what it is you are uh, saying you're against. And we saw it with the French Revolution. We had, yeah. we saw, and to some extent with the American Revolution, you saw, you know, yeah. this uh, resistance to injustice which went from being sort of a defensive act into becoming a, you know, uh, what did Marx call it? A dictatorship of the proletariat, where the, yeah. uh, 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 the abusers, bec- or the, the abused become the abusers and vice versa. And all that's happened is, you know, who's holding which, you know, who has which role. And that, that like you said, that feels good to the people that are now the abusers, but you're just right. continuing that cycle. And, and if you look at it, like you said, from a holistic standpoint, you didn't help anything, Chief. Like, you, you, you went and made it. Now you're the bad guy. That, that's right. what you change is you're the villain now, and they're 
I guess the good guys are the or at least the victims of your of your villainy, and and so it's very happy to see uh, that you're that you're doing this type of thing. Now, um, you had mentioned polarization uh, in your uh, in if not in that, then in, I think in one of the videos about theory of enchantment. Do you think that polarization in our society is possibly a feature and not a bug? Meaning that like the people leading these various political movements. Uh, and 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 activist groups and things like that, whether wittingly or unwittingly, they don't actually want to find common ground. They kind of want to radicalize their followers and create boogeymen out of their opponents so that they can keep everyone at each other's throats and more easily manipulate others. Um, again, not even necessarily realizing that's what they're doing. Or do you think that this is truly like a bug, like people don't want to do this? This is a good question. I think that there's some people who don't want to do it <laughs> and end up doing it. And then I right. think that for others, like the market rewards it, especially on Twitter. Um, so the, if the market rewards polarization financially or otherwise, then that's what you're going to do because it quite frankly feeds your family and right. um, gives you status. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so that's what you're going to do and yeah. you're going to do it, uh, with glee actually. Um, so I think that there's something that has to be worked out with regard to that, that, that market effect, that market aspect. Uh, and I'm not quite sure like how to, um, how to sort of fix that or compete with that, which is ironic because I just started a business, but, um, <laughs> so we'll see. If only but, someone would just, you know, put together something to right. try to help people figure <laughs> out how to do this. Exactly. Exactly. But at the same time, it's also human nature. So it's not just like market forces. It's like, I don't know if you're into game of Thrones. I don't know if you watched it. But oh yes. Like... Oh, <laughs> okay. Yes. So I think this was the thing that was the, the one teaching woman that came away from the very botched eight season um, was was Khaleesi's, uh, you know, turning into, in the name of social justice, she turned yep. into an oppressor, right? Yep. And I don't think that's, that wasn't a market force thing. Capitalism didn't exist back then. I think it's a function of human nature. And so it is incumbent upon us as human beings to be aware of our nature, and to try to temper the excesses, the negative excesses of our impulses that that lend themselves to that, um, and I think that that's the larger thing that's going that's going what's going on is a is a human development thing, not a um, whether you're unwittingly or deliberately doing it or not. Yeah, and and the the market in many ways is an extension of human nature. It's human nature played right. out in 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 sort of this kind of mass, you know, like. Uh, human nature is saying, I- I'm going to buy this here because it's cheaper. The exact same thing is cheaper here than than there. That's human nature playing out, trying to find the best deal. Um, there are two things I agree with what you just said, uh, that, um, you know, people are, you know, perfect example, you know, Khaleesi, uh, uh, Daenerys, you know, she, she, uh, I, right now I'm trying not to think of all the things that were wrong with that season. Um, but, but Daenerys, you know, she went from at the beginning of the story, she was, you know, they were trying to kill her. The, 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 you know, Baratheons were trying to kill her. Uh, the, uh, you know, she, she gets married away to a guy who's raping her. And yeah. she, over time, strengthens herself and becomes a champion of the oppressed. Doing some pretty brutal stuff along the way, but she was doing it to right. bad people, quote unquote. Right. And then all of a sudden, you come all the way full circle where she's, uh, uh, where she's just burning the largest city in the known right. world and killing pretty much everyone. And, and then, you know, pretty much saying, 
to John, who was apparently became thick-headed in the last season, that, you know, well, we're going to do this to Winterfell next and then to Dorne and then everywhere else. And he's just like, you're my queen. And uh, so the other thing I agree with you with is that they completely botched that season and most of season seven. First of all, John kills Daenerys. Total side note here. John kills Daenerys. Why did the... And, so, and then the Unsullied presumably capture him. Why right. did the Dothraki not fight the Unsullied to free their new cow? Because he's their new call. He killed the Khaleesi. He's the call. He's now their leader. Oh, Why did that not happen? I don't think that that at that point was really a thing. <laughs> a thing anymore? Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, like they've already they're, gone they're, across they're, the world. Already, and yeah. yeah, they were on ships throwing up. They'd never been on ships before. Like, it totally messed up their entire worldview. I don't think that's that's a, You know what? That's a good point. They weren't, they weren't, they just fought zombies. They're not worried about their, their archaic social structure anymore. Exactly. I, you know, I, that, that's a good point. And I'm less angry now. I'm still okay. angry. I'm still angry, but I'm less angry. Um, so in the spirit of making human connections, finding common ground, and, and, and not treating people as political extra- abstractions, who would you consider the worst enemy of the theory of enchantment? And, and how do we destroy them? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what? This is that personality that I love, I have to say. You're awesome. Like, thank you. Thank you for making me laugh. Um, I'll say with the caveat of like, again, the theory of enchantment has a very specific framework for criticizing people. So, um, so <laughs> I was supposed to be like appreciative inquiry and like you, you talk about what you value and you criticize right. in order to, to, because you actually care about that person. So all that being said, I don't know if this is like the biggest i mean but if i were to look at politics on both the left i love that you're trying to figure out who your biggest enemy is but anyway go ahead it's not an enemy thing it's not like (laughs) just like different ways of it's different paradigms of viewing the world right 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 i'm in this space where i don't really view them as my enemy no i understand that's why i love that you're like painting (laughs) yourself to do this anyway (laughs) but i i'd say i find it problematic i'll I'll start with the left i find the um do you know who Robin D'Angelo is? I want to say I've heard that name, but no, no, okay, not, so not Robin, enough to actually know. Robin D'Angelo is someone who sort of works in anti-bias training. Um, okay. She coined the term white fragility. Uh, and she is basically this entire philosophy of how to combat racism, which okay. is very much not the theory of enchantment. Um, <laughs> very much is basically like you have to tell white people to hold still while I hit you, essentially. Like yes. that's, that's the philosophy, and then white people have to essentially say, "Yes, please hitting, please keep hitting me." Like I, I, I you know, um, I acknowledge my sins um, and my contributions. My sins. original sin, yeah, with no yeah. with no hope of redemption. Also, yeah. Although that's what I always like to point out when people make that comparison is that it's not like original sin because original sin has actually a redemptive clause in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so that whole model, which is actually pretty pervasive in certain sectors of society, it's, it's affected a lot of educational departments, it's affected a lot of anti-bias and like uh, diversity trainings. That type of uh, philosophy is very dangerous and has that, I would call it the Khaleesi effect <laughs> for, the sake of, for the sake of like, you know, shortening uh, what we're talking about. It, it creates the Khaleesi <laughs> effect in which uh, people become the oppressor in the name of trying to um, fight, fight for the oppressed. Yeah. Oppress. Yeah. And the problem yeah. with, with one of the things that underpins that is another sort of flaw in thinking, which is this notion that if you are oppressed, 
Uh, are you? Are we allowed to curse on this show or no? You can say whatever you want on the show. Well, okay. except you, you don't nothing like don't advocate for anyone to be killed. But I think we're good on that. Okay. Uh, short of like yes. <laughs> rape, murder, like that kind of thing. You know, yes, you can say whatever you want. None of that. None of that. Okay. okay. So there's this false. There's this flaw in this sort of Robin D'Angelo model of thinking that if you are oppressed, then there's no way that you can be an asshole. But it turns out that if you are oppressed, you can also be you, you can, can also be oppressed be. and also be a bad person. Right? These, yep. these two things aren't mutually exclusive. Yep, yep, yep. So yep. there's this flaw in thinking that if you are oppressed, then you sort of fit into this box of good person, and the person who's oppressing you is a bad person. And really, that's not how the human condition works. It's never, right. that's not who we are as human beings. And so, what Dr. D'Angelo does by reducing people to their skin color, ironically, is essentially creating a framework in which um, human beings are, are reduced to what she believes to be the essence of their skin color, which doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and that creates that Khaleesi effect. So that's what I would criticize on the left. Um, especially it's important to me because I am a person of color and like it, it really like affects the way, like if it affects me personally. And like if, right. if I have people going around thinking of me as like a political abstraction or like a category as opposed yep. to a fully functioning complex human being, then they're also yep. going to treat me in weird ways and then I'm going to have to like call them out. But in the spirit of the theory of enchantment, not in the spirit of... Call out their behavior as and why why it's wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The yeah. spirit but, of law. Now, yeah. I, I, can, I can imagine it's cathartic though. I mean, I am painfully white as this camera as this light is helping demonstrate this led light i don't know why i have an led light on me i glow in the dark so i am extremely extremely white i am jewish but i'm also like no one knows i'm jewish unless i tell them which i do often i am very <laughs> extreme Again, about you my see your like subline so yeah exactly it's i'm visibly i could when i was a kid i was like platinum white hair i look like a hitler youth poster candidate like i mean i i i, I i'm i'm very 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 white so i i obviously don't know what it's like to be a person of color i can imagine that it is very cathartic especially yeah. if you have been dealing with uh, uh 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 both in overt and covert ways dealing with being treated like a lesser person not that right. you're being chained and enslaved or anything like that but just you're existing in the same world as others but you're just it's noticeable that you're being treated differently on a, on a sort of a, 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 a macro scale. I can imagine it would be cathartic now to get to play a little part in acting that way towards an entire, you know, treating all white people as an abstraction and, and making these generalizations. And if any white person comes along to say, well, I'm not like that, you go, oh, I'm not like that. And like make fun of that and, you know, create these spaces where I watch it and I used to get upset. And now I laugh because I'm like, they're having fun with this. Like, yeah. you know, white people do X, Y, Z. And you yeah. know me, I post the white people jokes because yeah. for the same reason I post jokes in general. I just think they're funny. And I'll get people yeah. go, I'm white and I put, I put salt in my chicken. And I'm like, oh, I'm white and I put salt in my chicken. Like, I mean, I, it, I get it. I get why it's yeah. funny. And I get why it can be cathartic on like a, you know, you've been putting me through this or not you, but the white people, quote unquote, right. or this society, including black people that help enforce it, but that's a whole right. other subject, uh, uh, have been putting me through this. And now I get a chance just to kind of dig at you. But it speaks yeah. to what happens if this individual ends up in a position of power? Do they suddenly go, well, I've had my fill of that. Now I'm going to spread joy and love and equality. And, and I, I, I fear that that's maybe not what's going to happen. Do you, do you have that same fear that I do? 
Yeah, I don't think necessarily that people that are making white people jokes about cooking and seasoning <laughs> fit into this category. I mean, I do sometimes make comments about yeah, that. Yeah, so, so that was, just to be clear, that was just an example of like that, well, I don't do that. But yeah, like yeah, saying, yeah. you know, white people, no, like you said. The, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I think it's like a general way of thinking and being and existing in the world. If you become, if you go too far, if you like become too right. comfortable with that way of thinking, yeah. Then if you're not careful, um, when you do find yourself in a position of power, you can become totalitarian. And the other thing is that we as a society don't understand, uh, we, we think of power as a very simple thing. Um, we think of power almost like as being defined by firepower. So you have the power to enforce, you know, right. something. But power is actually, I think, much more complicated than that. And you know, I would say that Dr. King and James Baldwin both viewed power in much more metaphysical ways than simply mm -hmm. saying, like, I have a gun and I can enforce this. Um, and, and they would have argued that racists were actually the victims of their own uh, makings, essentially, which is, the, which is the type of language that you don't really hear today. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> you do like not they hear will, that. Obviously, yeah. they will say that, like, racists are are engaging in a power imbalance and so you need to take the power back and they are on a right. certain level but on yeah. a metaphysical level which is another dimension and different different way of thinking about all these things um it it changes the way like james baldwin famously said in a debate that it's he argued that it's in some ways much worse for the racist who uh, presumably loves his wife and loves his kids and still sees fit to go attack and beat up a black a young black woman he right that it was arguably it was arguably worse for the soul of that person than it was for the person being persecuted because there's something far great far more damaging internally in that racist person that has to be dealt with and has to be healed and that's a totally different way of thinking about power and thinking about um you know how we view uh, I guess the ability to do something, which is which is the definition of power, right? So, right. Um, so that's something that I've thought about before a lot, actually. Well, that's so that's interesting because if you, I, I tend to look at, um, uh, uh, so if you look at the societal issues, and you almost and you distill them down to if you were thinking of a family. Instead of a society, so instead of three hundred twenty right. million people or seven billion people or whatever, talk think about you know a couple dozen people living together as a family. These things start to just look like run of the mill toxic codependent relationships. And so, yeah. using that same uh, I guess uh, 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 extrapolation, you could also say that. So, like giving your example, the the abuser, the person who is you know being the the presumably the one who's benefiting the most from this toxic relationship in many ways they're the most tortured one of all because they're doing all of these things to make up for either you know great anxieties and fears that they have um right. uh, feelings of inadequacy and all of these other things and yes that doesn't excuse what they're doing and, and it, you know it needs to stop and, and the, the, the way that they do these things needs to change and the people that are being forced into this need to be able to disassociate from them so that they don't have to deal with that but that doesn't change the fact that that person is really like really really uh probably like you said possibly worse off than anyone else in terms of who they are inside how tortured they are inside and, yeah. and like you were saying power uh 
you know, Paul Gordon, who's a guest of mine uh, regularly, he talks about the reality of power, that there are many different types of power, and, and, you know, force power is just one of them. Me being able to point a gun at someone and go, you do this or I'll kill you, or me being able to, you know, show, show an army to someone and say, I will bomb the crap out of everyone you care about unless you do this. That's one type of power, and it's it's the most overstated one, because there's also... If I have the ability, and I forget the labels he uses, but if I have the ability to, in talking to you, change your mind so that not only are you doing the thing that I want you to do, but you want to do it. I'm not forcing you to do it at gunpoint. This is now a thing that you feel just as passionately as me. That is power. If if I can change, uh, you know, public opinion to kind of almost like uh, societally pressure you or, or for lack of a better word, peer pressure you into doing something, that's not quite as good as getting to convince you to do it, but it's still better than pointing a gun at you because you still right. feel like this is something you should be doing. So those things are, are, you know, in my mind, more powerful than the power we tend to think of, you know, uh, uh, you know, force power, martial power. Right. Yeah. And again, it's just two paradigms of two totally different paradigms of viewing the way the world works. Someone right. actually had a conversation with me the other day, going back to quantum physics. Um, they explained it like someone who views physics through the lens of a Newtonian model versus someone who sees it through the lens of quantum physics. So the Newtonian model is, and I'm, I'm bastardizing this. So. Yeah. For, for, for the, for those, for the, for the idiots out there who don't know yeah, like I'm, the difference. So oh, okay. This, okay. So this is just this is just like a like a basic way to think about it. But like, okay, okay. is like the physical. Like this computer is physically in front of me, right? Like I can right, touch it. Right. I can, if I drop it, I break it. Whatever. That's yeah. the Newtonian level of it. But the quantum level of physics is like the energy within the universe, right? Yeah. It's going, and it's going much more deeper than the physical manifestation of what's happening in front of you. And that's the problem I have with Robin D'Angelo's model is that her model is only about the physical appearance essentially of the person standing in front of you and the implication of that uh, allegedly as opposed to the energy within the person um the things that have contributed to the person being who they are um and how that informs what they're doing to themselves and to me and then now multiply that on a societal level um so that's but i do want to bring up my problems with the right in in regards to this i don't want to just focus on the left because the right does this too and oh, yeah. i would say like i i used to you know i used to write for truth revolt which was a magazine that like ben shapiro had headed up so i used to work for ben shapiro um on the israel side right and i think that both to a certain extent Ben Shapiro, and to a greater extent, Candace Owens represents the same phenomenon on the right. Because what they do is they make these sweeping claims about how the left wants to destroy us all. The left as this, again, political... Right, this, yeah, this this Leviathan, yeah. It's ironic that they criticize um, Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, because I, I also criticize San Coates, but I know we've had, we've had, we've had a lot of back and forth with, with uh, Nancy Coates. Yeah. Yes. But it's ironic that they criticize them because one of the things that they were critical of, if I remember correctly, is in his essay about Donald Trump being the first white president, he, de- he de- describes whiteness as this like cosmic thing force in the world. But it's like, that's right. how they describe the left. They describe the left as if it were this cosmic force in the world, like yep. the media, 
they are the media. Yes. Right? Yep. They have yep. enormous platforms with millions of people following them. They're acting yep. as if they don't have power. They have power to influence and they are the media. And so they too reduce people on the left to these cookie cutter pigeonholed, um, you know, mindless drones. When this that's monolith, not, yeah, like Sauron yeah, or like something. Yep. Yep. Totally. Like the left, in my opinion, is far more interesting. <laughs> And nuanced um, in many ways in the picture that they depict. Oh, yeah. So they too have they too have contributed to this this force in society that's just like not allowing us to deal with each other's humanities, and instead in, in empowering us and encouraging us to just reduce one another to to objects instead of subjects. Well, and and I agree 100%. And specifically with Ben Shapiro and, and Candace Owens, in some ways, they're presenting themselves by virtue of their identities as sort of a counter abstraction. So it's like, well, you know, I'm a Jew and I'm conservative. Or, you know, I'm a black woman and let me explain why the Democrat Party is a plantation right. uh, uh, that we should flee from and how in no way is that hyperbolic at all right, uh, exactly. to compare exactly. a political party to like chattel slavery. This is why um, my, one of my biggest <laughs> of Candace Owens is like, you're comparing a political party of the 21st century to plantation life. Like, and no one is re- like, no one sees a problem with this. It's a rough. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what? a rough, that's a rough, rough conspiracy. Especially if I have to, I have to believe maybe I'm wrong. I have to believe that if Ben Shapiro tried to unironically compare, like, the Democratic Party to Auschwitz, right. that there'd be, I'd have to think that there'd be some backlash. Would there be no, people out there like, yeah, I totally agree with them? Yes. Yeah, but yeah, would yeah. the, by and large, would he get way more flack than she's getting for comparing uh, maybe I'm fooling myself. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I, I have to think that he'd be getting just a little more flack for comparing it to Shoah than yeah. uh, than than you know than um uh, the Shoah's the Holocaust for this moment. Then then Candace is getting comparing it to slavery, but but I I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know anymore. As I'm saying it, maybe they maybe all my friends, half my Facebook friends feed would come out and say, "Yes, of course, this is exactly like the gas chambers." <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, know what to think know. anymore. I don't know. I just am baffled by what people are, what people get away with intellectually these days. So, oh. or not intellectually. So. Yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know what isn't comparable to the Holocaust? Anchor FM. So, guys, are you thinking of? Uh podcasting well let me tell you something if you are thinking of making a pod there's anchor will be thrilled at this plug i'm sure uh (laughs) anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free which you can use right from your phone or your computer they have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great uh they will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere from spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and many more uh, pretty much everywhere, um, you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which is a big deal. We are actually making money for the first time, even though we don't have tens of thousands of listeners yet. Don't don't do SoundCloud. If you were if you were if you are if you are not an already famous person and you were thinking of podcasting, then uh, be sure to download the Anchor app uh, or go to Anchor 
Fm to get started, and that is my contractually obligated plug. Now, Chloe, speaking of podcasts, you yes. recently started a podcast, didn't you? I did, yes. I got to get on that, actually. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a podcast called The Theory of Enchantment. Guilting you yeah. into podcasting more. Uh, it's called Theory of Enchantment, and uh, I will actually be, I, I'm actually going to start talking more about the theory. In the past, I've interviewed really interesting folks. Yeah. Um, but I think that my voice has sort of, I've sort of minimized my voice. And I think that I'm trying to uh, hone in my uh, skills as an educator. So I think it'll be interesting to see how I uh, talk more about the theory and about the teachings and the lessons of the theory. And it's really interesting because the theory of enchantment curriculum is super um, innovative because it uses pop culture as a text to teach insights on the human condition. So instead of studying a Psych 101 textbook, you'll actually study things like Disney's The Lion King. You'll study things like a song by Kendrick Lamar or a song by John Mayer, a text by James Baldwin, uh, a poem by Maya Angelou to actually talk about and discuss and unpack these insights into the human condition. So uh, I'm, and that's, I'm hoping that's, to be that's, to that's more way more relatable yeah. <laughs> than, the than, Psych 101. than Psych 101. <laughs> Yeah. Even to people that are into Psych 101, right. there's going to be a very small subset of people that are like, yeah, sub, yeah, uh, Psych 101, way more interesting than Maya Angelou or yeah. James Baldwin or, or Kendrick Lamar or whomever else. So I, I can imagine that's more relatable. I, 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 I caught a couple of your podcasts. You, you interviewed the former white nationalist, uh, the founder of J-Swipe. I found I out did. that there's – I, so I learned this week that there's an a app called J-Swipe. Exclusive Jewish dating, which would have just learned that this week. <laughs> I just learned that. Listen, I've been out of out of the dating world for like over a decade, and also let me tell you something. Let me let me put this on to me. I I I, I don't date Jewish. Uh, my whole thing, you know, once you go Gentile, you're in the 99th percentile. And um, uh, but now back to you. Um, but so it was very interesting. I, I I'd like to think that you you started this podcast because you you started listening to my show, and you thought, Absolutely. wow, that's that's terrible i need to make something that hopefully in some small way uh offsets the horrible things that uh that spike is doing by making something that is is good am i am i correct in that or something <laughs> that is exactly okay that was my thinking good I good good i'm glad to glad to hear it so I, I didn't realize that you're so you're you're gonna try to switch up your how you relate to the people on the during the podcast be less of a i guess interviewer and more of where you're having conversation or yeah i think i'm gonna just try to talk about my thoughts more you know (laughs) it's Um. tough it's tough it is tough i like talking about how i think about stuff but when you have someone on you naturally just want to ask them questions and be like yeah that's a great point or i don't know i maybe i don't agree with that but it's i'm i'm learning if you watch my first few, don't, don't, but if you did watch my first few episodes, I'm just like, that's a good point. Wow. I never thought of it that way. Or I agree with that. And, and as opposed to like having a conversation. So I, I'm trying to strike that balance. So you'll get, you're, you've done how many episodes? I've done 10 episodes. Okay. Then you're, you have, you have, you will get much better. But I thought you were good. I thought you. I thought you were good. But yes, it is. It is. It is difficult to find that balance between just being like a reporter putting a microphone in someone's face and being like like a Larry King, who's you know the interviews yeah. half about him. 
you know, as much yeah. as it is about the person. Yeah, it's t- it's tough. It's tough because yeah. you want to be somewhere in between those. I want to like experiment with the latter one, you know. So, yeah, I want to try that. I want to try that for real. Cool. Well, it's good. Cool. You know, you could have the founder of My Fellow Americans on, and that would be something. And then, and then you could just Great ask plan. me questions, and Great then I plan. could talk. That could be an episode where you don't try to do that; you just let me talk. <laughs> Well, you know what? I would love to have you on the Theory of Enchantment, Spike. I mean, I don't know if we could get into all the debates because I feel like that's not it's not necessarily on topic <laughs> per se for the Theory of Enchantment. But what we could do is something else, like definitely. We could. You're a very funny person. I am a thank you, and I am a fan of this idea of finding your enemies and 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 and, and naming and shaming them and yeah, but like, I don't think I don't think I shame them. You know, people. Tell me if people I did, but. People who disagree with theory of enchantment so fragile. That's, that's a, there's a hashtag. Um, yeah. Although, yeah. So okay. Now, now, Chloe, there are uh, uh, one of my favorite places on the internet uh, yes. is the comment section of your Facebook posts, um, <laughs> where I try to reside as much as possible. Uh, basically, I think you're in a similar situation as me, where you have. Cultivated, yeah, cultivated a, a a largely conservative following, uh, uh, and uh, or at least they're, they're maybe slightly overrepresented from the the general public. We'll, we we yeah. should say, uh, and they have become exasperated, exasperated, downright apoplectic, if you will, yeah. uh, at the idea that you have nuanced opinions and are not essentially a Tucker Carlson clone. Um, this is not a segue into a question. I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for your commenters. Well. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. I actually recently told someone that, like, if any, I actually told Dave Rubin that if anything, I'm like, a, like I'm, I don't really like the political labels, but I'm definitely like a former right winger, sort of transitioning into a centrist, right? Um, not a center left person, whatever that means. Like, I don't know, but um, you're but not yeah. ready to say what you're becoming, but I know what you're becoming. What am I becoming? <laughs> Tell me. You're becoming one of me. You're becoming one of me. <laughs> I am not an anarchist. Oh no! Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're it's happening. It's, 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 it's you're not now. Okay, so no. this is like 2014, Chloe. I'm not an anarchist. No, no, you're definitely not right now. No. Anyway, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you, and you're not being an anarchist. I, but anyway, but <laughs> I will say I will say this about my followers. Um, you know, I love them. I respect them. Sometimes they drive me crazy. Um, and if it's anyone that I'm trying to affect with the theory of enchantment. Mm-hmm. It, but it's not just it's not just them it's like it's like there are there are conservatives on my wall that go apoplectic in my opinions there are also liberals that on my wall that go apoplectic oh yeah 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 right? absolutely can, like make all of them angry and also hopefully make them think <laughs> make everyone that. angry yeah but i like to tell them that like i'm not a what is it <laughs> when they ask me if i'm right wing or left wing i say i am not a bird uh, I like that. Like that. I like um, that. So yeah, I just, I just, I think that the world is much more interesting than these questions. Are you right yeah. wing or are you left wing? You know, it's so much more, so much more interesting. And it's sad that we haven't come to a place societally or culturally where we can like transcend those labels. You know. So, I agree. I agree. Hoping to contribute to society in such a way that that does happen. Or, well. Know, 
you're doing your best and I appreciate that. And in the meantime, I'm thoroughly enjoying the comments. I often come just to experience the comments because, and I know what they'll be, which is the best part of it. So it's like, I can predict with a pretty high degree of certainty, you know, when you'll post something and it'll mention like the Palestinians and they'll be like, there is no Palestinians. There is never, you show me their constitution. So Chloe, there are competing theories as to whether or not we should reach out to people with the most abhorrent views like Nazis or, or whether we should, you know, uh, whether we should, you know, shame them and and try to, you know, destroy them and, and, and whatever, whether we should be, you know, reaching out to them and and not treat them like evil caricatures so that they can realize we aren't evil caricatures and maybe they, you know, shouldn't be Nazis. Um, I think you seem to believe we should reach out to them, at least to a point. Um, yeah. The argument against that, obviously, is that by giving Nazis and people like that any kind of space or platform, you're also giving them the opportunity to spread their message and influence more people or normalize their beliefs or anything like that. And, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, some would say, you know, that, that they could spread their message and influence more people, possibly even me. Uh, so what do you think about the argument? And then also to what degree do you worry that I could become a Nazi? Uh, so Daryl Davis, uh, was a famous guy because he literally got over 200 white nationalists yeah. to leave the movement yeah. and give up their roads. And he literally just did it by talking to them. <laughs> so that's, he, that's a very powerful data point in your favor. So you just talked to like, he, I mean, he, I mean, he just talked to them over very long periods of time, like years and years yeah. and years. And eventually just like wore them down, I guess, by just talking like, to okay, them. like, okay, fine, you're a person. <laughs> right. And they eventually left. And um, so I guess my question would be, as a data point, how many white nationalists have left the movement from the strategy of ignoring them uh or and or ostracizing them threatening to punch them yeah. threatening to punch them you know versus the daryl davis model i don't know the answer to that question it's possible that maybe some have maybe oh maybe i'm sure it takes all kinds yeah yeah left. maybe it's a combination you know of, of things but i just that data point of daryl davis really stuck, sticks out with me also um uh, dia khan who has a famous documentary on netflix called uh, meet the right where she also talks to white nationalists and she has an incredible interview with uh the british guy whose name i forgot um what's it called what's his i forgot his name but look up podcast oh uh, uh, um uh the long uh, russell, russell brand russell brand russell yeah. brand yep. so she has an incredible interview with him which i think is like was certainly homework for me when i was developing the theory of it's really good yeah it's um, really really it's good so yeah. good and it, it, it sort of unpacks like how and why people become white nationalists especially like how a lot of military people are coming back being super depressed and traumatized and then uh, being exploited by this movement. So these are often our veterans who are being being essentially, I, say, I would say, stolen from us and, and into these movements. And so unpacking that, and she really speaks about it eloquently, um, is critical to learning how to get people out of the movement. And the theory of enchantment is actually going to be used in anti-extremist organizations to help people who have expressed a desire to want to leave that movement. So even the theory of enchantment is actually involved um, in the very early stages, but involved in trying to, yes, combat extremist movements, but in a very love-focused way. So 
maybe for for other people, like again, punching punching them in the face might be very cathartic and emotionally <laughs> comfortable. Don't get arrested, but right, it might, right. you know, might you know, and I get that. I'm not. I I I don't think I would necessarily. I don't think judgment is what I would dish out for that. But I would say be mindful. This is again the Newtonian versus the quantum, right? You're the Newtonian view is like this person in front of me is a white supremacist. White supremacists are evil. Punch the white supremacists. Right? right, 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 right. The quantum model is what are the factors within this individual's life that got him to where he is today, and how can I, how can I unpack those factors in a way that will that will help him to grow and eventually move out of the movement. It's just two different ways of, of viewing. And I happen to subscribe to that second view. Right. Right. And of, of course, caring for your safety first and foremost, like, I mean, you don't, you don't go well, into if you're a, punching a Nazi. I'm not sure if you're <laughs> concerned. Well, no, but, but what I mean is like, okay, so you don't, you don't go to like a cross burning and go, Hey right. guys, you know, maybe this right. is a bit oh, much. No. Yeah. Crazy. Daryl Davis did that shit. <laughs> I, did, you know, he yeah. showed up. I'm not. I'm not recommending this. Don't yeah, no, yeah, we're not recommending this. But man, big guy. He's a pretty big guy. So right. a, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend this. But Daryl Davis <laughs> literally showed up for years at white nationalist rallies and just talked to people. And eventually, over 200 of them left. I don't know what that says, but I know it says something. It definitely so, says something. You have first. Of all, you know what it says is the the cojones, the chutzpah of this right. man. This is a right. self assured man. Right. <laughs> to show up to a white nationalist rally Just as an up. obvious black man. Yeah. He's like, I don't get it. <laughs> Tell me about what you think. Tell about me these. why you're doing that. Is that is? And then like, so, we'll shake your hand afterwards and be like, All right, I'll see you at the next one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'll see you at the next one. Okay, yeah, I, I think you're wrong, but we'll talk later. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that is impressive. I would say so. Here's my recommendation because I would say you know maybe not. The day, I, I, I can't I can't I don't want people walking away from this going like well you know Nazis are people too I'm gonna go hang out at their thing so don't the, the, do that. Don't yeah do don't do that I would not recommend that okay yeah. uh, my recommendation would be if you are going to reach out to them you do so in in a space you're gonna feel comfortable in and if, apparently for him that was a cross burning uh, he was <laughs> he was comfortable in that space so <laughs> maybe a place that you feel comfortable. Uh, and, right. uh, uh, I mean, but yeah, no, it, it, or, it's, or you can just like work with organizations that do that stuff professionally. So like, that's another thing, but, it, but it's organizations that, that exist in that space and that are actually helping tra- because the thing is I've been to a lot of conferences on extremism and people don't realize that extremism is like alcoholism. Like you have to go through like a 12 step program to get out right. of it. And so if you can volunteer for organizations that are helping people get out of those movements, that's another way that you can contribute to to bettering society yeah and it, and it speaks to the fact that i am not saying nazis are that nazi nazism's wrong the clan is wrong these things are wrong they're unequivocally wrong it speaks to something that these are people who obviously think they're doing something right and yet when a black man comes up a good number of them actually even in that moment felt comfortable communicating with this person and it, yeah. and it, it it says that these groups are not sore on these groups are not the right. um the the, the the yeah thank you thank you i try to you know pop culture exactly. like because tolkien is pop, pop culture 200 year old story is pop culture um or 100 year old story um these are not the monoliths that we create and 
there are certainly bad actors in them, just like there's bad actors everywhere. But a lot of them are scared. Like, a lot of them are doing it because they are scared of this caricature that's been created of them. The Mexicans and the blacks and the Muslims are coming to rape their women and to erase their identity. And they're, you know, they're going to make us do this and do that. And we have to stop them. We have to band together. We're a dwindling minority of people. And we have to band together and fight against them. And that's that narrative has so many problems with it. And and it's it's clearly false. But just seeing a black person want to be friends with them for a good number of them is going to be enough for them to be like, Oh, (laughs) I didn't know you wanted to be friends now for a lot of them. No, but yeah. Yeah. I should also give context. I think like this is my, again, holisticness, right? Like my thinking on this was affected. It's not just, it's not just thinking about, it's thinking about all forms of extremism, right? So like I, I volunteer in Brooklyn for an organization called Children of Promise, which mentor, mentors kids whose parents are incarcerated. Right. The likelihood that they will become incarcerated is, is very Through high. the roof, yeah, right. yeah. And so they need structures in place so they can have mentorships that, that, where we basically essentially tell them that we believe in them. And this is yeah. why we demand yep. excellence in them. But that's the same. It's interesting because it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Exact thing. So I, I know. Okay, I have met, I have mentored, I have tutored little kids, uh, boys in particular, the, the, and the likelihood, whose likelihood of them joining a gang is so high because yeah. of the missing structures in their family, right? Yeah. And what what's crazy about that is that for some of the young white kids, white boys, who are susceptible of joining white nationalist groups. These same, these two totally different groups, one is a bunch of, let's say, poor white kids and one is a bunch of poor black kids, the same factors are are at work. Yep. Same factors of fatherlessness, the same factors of a feeling of abandonment, social abandonment, the same factors of isolation are at work. And, And see, that's that quantum physics level of analysis, right? That's not like, can you, and this is, this goes, this speaks to my problem that I have on the right. Right, because the right's problem, the left's problem is that the intersectional left has no way of dealing with white nationalism in the way that we've been talking about. Right, right, right. White supremacy as like alcoholism, which requires a twelve-step program to get out. Right, right. right. But but the right also doesn't understand that when it comes across young black kids who may be acting out, who may be acting in a way that's aggressive or harmful they will right. be dismissive of them and yep. they will say crazy things that are ghetto super thugs harmful, yeah yep yep super, super caricaturing yep and that that is the exact same model of what the left is doing for white supremacists right mm-hmm. and that isn't mm-hmm. to say that like this is not about comparing and contrasting this is not about saying that like if you think that you're you're a supremacist by virtue of your skin color then what you are doing is better or worse than a kid who wants to go bang up another community because that community is being repped by another gang, right? This isn't about comparing and contrasting yeah. the the lack of ethics in both of these slivers of communities, right? It's about trying to unpack where they come from, where, where they stem from, and trying to put in place a model that can heal and also can prevent, right? Because again, going back to conversations around movies or films like when they see us how can we actually combat the punitive nature of the way we think about how to deal with 
crime or how to deal with bad behavior right on a right holistic level so the same the same thing that i'm saying which is applicable to dealing in some in some cases with some white supremacists is the same thing that is applicable or preventing white supremacists from from actually sprouting up of communities is the same thing that's applicable to why we should be talking about mentoring these young yep. black kids that are in situations through no fault of their own why should be why should we we should be shoring them up we should be telling them we believe in them right because we know that the outcome will be better and the right does not do that i was i was just on ben shapiro's website um he has a list of retractions and but but like halfway down the list it's like stuff i've said that the left took out of context um and one of them was basically saying that like if you have an ebt card and you're sagging your pants and you don't and you're wearing a fitted cap this is a tweet he, he said a few years ago but he just re-justified the tweet last year and he said, if you have all of this, your likelihood of success is 0%. And then he said, the left didn't understand this. They called me racist, but there are a bunch of white people that fit this description. So the left is being racist, blah, blah, blah. And my yeah, whole but it's still is, wrong. It's still not. This is problematic. Ben. Right. That's, not the, that's, that's not the issue with this tweet. Right. It's not just right? about that skin. Yeah. Person, like, like, like what you appreciate, appreciates. So if you can see value. If you can see human worth, if you can see potential in that yeah. kid that you just described, then the likelihood, and you invest in that potential, then the likelihood that they will be successful is actually not 0%. But you have to have a worldview that is holistic enough to see that and to make you desire to invest in that. So it's, it's any community. I could talk about a black kid in the inner city of Chicago. I could talk about a white kid in opioid infested virginia i could talk about a hispanic kid who's dealing yeah. with various issues this is the human yeah. condition right yeah. this is how the human condition works so and 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 uh, jordan peterson talks about this as well but it's it's a, it's especially with boys but really just people in general uh yeah. with, with with girls too if you take a human being and as a child they have no direction they have no idea what they're doing they've probably been told at least once that they were a mistake they uh or, or at least it was in or at least even if it wasn't actually said just the way that they're being treated is as though they were a mistake and an unwanted mistake that the people now fully regret that having made and right. now you've got a group whether it's a gang an extremist group or even um, the military who goes to them and says no, you have a purpose. Exactly. We're going to give you a purpose. We have a purpose for you. You have amazing purpose. You're going to protect your people or exactly. your country or your neighborhood from these horrible scumbags over there who think all the terrible things about you that we don't believe. And uh, we're going to and we're, we're going to we're going to go and we're going to we're going to fight against them and and you know, you're going to I don't know so much with the white supremacist groups, but definitely with the gangs and with the military, they're like, you're gonna profit too. You're gonna you're gonna make something of yourself. You're gonna come out of this stronger and better. I'm sure the the white supremacist groups and the, the extremist groups do something the I mean the terrorist groups. Al Qaeda says, Well, when you die, not only right. do you go to paradise, we give your family money. So I mean, right. these are people that have no hope and they're being given hope. The hope is incredibly toxic and it's right. going to harm lots and lots of people. But it's it's the it's the same thing. And I, I like what you're saying, especially getting them when they're young, so that you don't have to be uh 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 what's the guy's name again? That went to the clan rallies. Oh, Daryl Davis. Yeah, so that you don't have to be like Daryl Davis and go to clan rallies with adults. Daryl Get them Daryl when they're Davis. kids. 
get them <laughs> get them out <laughs> yeah, really exactly but but imagine if you can get them as kids where they might call you the n-word or something but you don't really fear for your life as much right. you know this this is a a place that you can actually get them so um chloe i have to ask you yes you've been following me for years now mm-hmm. and yet somehow you are still not an anarchist <laughs> No. <laughs> Why? 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 Just you know, doesn't really speak to me. <laughs> Honestly. But like, I'm speaking I, to you. I were to get, <laughs> if I were to give you like a, I, I was actually thinking about this before I did this interview. Like you are basically like the free folk in Game of Thrones. Yes. Yes. Right? That's that's yes. the community that you represent, right? Yes. I respect the free folk tremendously. But I actually like believe in the state and like in the existence of the state, and I don't think it has. Um, I, I think that we have a differing of a difference of opinions in terms of like the ethics of, of the existence of the state. Uh, so I think like big picture and like like to summarize it, that's why I'm not an anarchist. I, I mean, again, I'm a Zionist, so like <laughs> it's kind of hard to be an anarcho-Zionist. Yes, yeah. that's fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. And and in the spirit of the theory of enchantment, I will yeah. agree to disagree with you and continue to have an open dialogue with you. Thank you. Because I know that we haven't all ascended yet. And also, and we haven't all reached ascendancy. I also which think I, that, which like, I achieved a few days ago when I changed my mind on a couple of things. And think, and and we, <laughs> we now I've now reached the pinnacle of both knowledge and humility. And yes, you are like and, Dharma. You're you're there, man. Yeah, I am there. I've got the the multiple. You can't you can't see them because you're where you are. But I, but the, I do have the multiple hands and the whole the flowy hand thing. That's amazing. I forgot my question. That's great terminology. Um, to <laughs> refer to Buddhist, uh, you know, the hand thing, spirituality. Um, I also just think that like like our desire as a species to like. Uh, have expressions of the collective is a very like is very rooted in our dna um and that you can see that in like sports you can see that in the existence of countries um so i, I think it's like now just to say that it's natural doesn't mean it's good I agree right that there are excesses of the state obviously but i do think that it can be it can be conditioned toward the good i you know what Again, we're not we're not all here, but I, I will say this: I, I am not, and I think there's a misconception that I think we're all island. That you know, every man is an island, and that's certainly not yeah. the case. Like you said, sports, uh, uh, you know, people join leagues and yeah. join teams, and they they play against each other. And now, hardcore anarchists will say, "Well, that's a that's a, a conditioning from the state." And no, no, it's not. It's not an abstraction. It's, hundreds of thousands of years of biological evolution where right. we, we seek out patterns in order to protect ourselves from dying and right. and and now it, it, it expresses itself in far more mundane ways like your bowling league or your right. your ch- you know chess club or whatever and and so I, I i don't i think that there are natural hierarchies i think that the actual state like forced association through government i think that there are better ways to do the things that need to that that we that we all agree need to be achieved uh, uh or well, most of us agree need to be achieved. Uh, uh, not like those those people, but the uh, the the people that we agree to disagree with. Um, but That's but fair. but anyway, we have time. You have time. We have time. You know, we're gonna have conversations. This is holistic. 
You're not Newtonian, and I'm not going to treat you like that. Um, so, uh, I'm glad so that you cl- adopted my vocabulary. That's how you know that the theory of enchantment is working. Oh, it's real. Listen, I, I mean, I haven't done the course, but I, I reading reading what I've read and listening to what I've listened to, I'm like, yes, this is yes. I don't do this. I don't do this because you know my post. I'm like very like if you think this, right, then right, right. prove me, yeah, prove yourself right. Very sarcastic though. I am, but it's it's kind of like a passive aggressive sarcasm where I'm like, oh yeah, um, you know, my thing is like I'm like, well, prove you actually believe this by, and I create some absurdist construct, right, 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 yeah. Dave, if you have to agree with, but I'm right, but I am right. Uh, just be clear. Um, so Chloe, before I give you the floor to give your final thoughts, probably the most important part of this show right now, um, I'm going to give you this opportunity to explain to our viewers and listeners exactly how much better I am than Dave Rubin. And 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 yes. specific reasons, yes. specific reasons as to why that is. Take as much time as you need. Listen, I love Dave Rubin. He was so gracious to have me on his show. So I feel like, you know, I mean, you both have your 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 uh, qualities. You both I don't like where this is going. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I think I don't. if I, I think that you're much more funny than you know. You're much you're funnier than Dave Rubin. So. Uh, uh, you, I think you make well. That was in studio, but I think I think for me this is just a personal thing. Like if my the person interviewing me is funny, it makes me way more comfortable, and it like makes me take it less seriously, which is great because I give my best material when I don't take it that seriously. So. Yeah, and you should definitely not take the show seriously at all. No, I certainly don't. Uh, but it, so, let me rephrase this, and it may be in a different way that, that that that's more helpful. How many Dave Rubens would it take? to make a spike cohen i think 20 yes good i'm going with that i'm good with that i'm good with that i'm officially 20 times better than dave rubin and uh my ratings will reflect (laughs) that but you feel free to interpret it's what it's how i took it yeah yeah, and and i live in my truth and 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 you know which i hate that phrase my truth but i but in this moment it's perfect this moment i in, in, in my in my truth in it makes perfect it, it perfectly fits with my beliefs right now um yes. so it's definitely that that is that is that is i will take that and my ratings will clearly reflect that reality shortly right. pretty much with this episode moving forward um chloe it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Likewise. i have had i have had so much fun having you on and i'm so glad that i that you could take the time to do this um and I just want to give you a chance before I let you go to give any final thoughts of anything and, and take as much time as you need. Any final thoughts that you have that you feel like we didn't get to address fully, that you'd like to fully flesh out? Anything that you would like to plug? Yes. Anything that you would like to, to tell people about? Whatever you want to say. You can say anything that you want to say. Chloe Valdery, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Spike. So for those of you listening to this interview... Um, as you know, I have a curriculum online that I'm selling. Um, so the normal price is actually 750 bucks and you get a year's worth of access to the curriculum. But if you type in coupon name, Spike Cohen, all caps, no space, no space, uh, the the curriculum will cost 360 bucks, which is 30 bucks a month. So that's a discount I will be giving to Spike Cohen's listeners. And uh, I hope you enroll and enjoy. I think you'll get a lot out of the program. It's certainly been a self-authoring process for me to actually put together the program. And I hope that you 
learn as much as I have learned and, and, and grow as much as I'm trying to grow from engaging with this curriculum. Thank you so much. And thank you for that generous, generous discount for our viewers. Spike Cohen, all caps, no space. Do not put a space. I swear to God, do not put a space in there. And uh, yeah, thank you again for joining us. Um, and uh, guys, thank you again for tuning in to my fellow Americans. It has been an absolute pleasure. And I'm glad you could experience that pleasure with me, Spike Cohen and Chloe. Um, be sure to tune in tomorrow, Thursday night, for the Writer's Block, where Matt Wright is going to be interviewing someone. I don't know who. But he'll be interviewing that person. And it will be amazing. And so be sure to tune into that. Uh, tune in Friday for the uh, Shabbat episode of Mr. America, the Bearded Truth by the uh, I don't, he's a Gentile, but I'm calling it a Shabbat episode, uh, with Jason Lyon, uh, have a great weekend and then tune in, uh, next Monday for, uh, Mr. America, the bearded truth, the non Shabbat, the fully Gentile episode of Mr. America, the bearded truth with Jason Lyon, uh, tune in next Tuesday for the Monday waters of freedom where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events with the, the hilarity and innocence of a child. That's, that's what I do. Uh, and then tune in again next Wednesday where I will be having Brent DeRitter, who is with the Libertarian Party of North Carolina and is also uh, going to be doing something called the Liberty Loop where he is taking his family on a houseboat journey around the, the country somehow. I'm not sure how a houseboat goes around the country. If you don't know, be sure to tune in. Don't forget the code. And again, stop lying, Denny's. Hashtag stop lying, Denny's. And uh, I will see you next week. God bless you. Who would want to raise a child? Who would want to raise a child?